0: where we're going to be. And our scripture reading this morning, just prefacing you right now, is probably the longest scripture reading I've ever done to start a sermon. And so I want you to see this as more of a story than just a few verses in the Bible, because we're going to read John verses chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Okay, so, But it's an amazing story. It's literally one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Um, it compels me to love God so much more every time I read it. Um, I think it's a story much needed in our day and in our culture. It's a story that really speaks to our cultural heart. And as always, you can follow along with me in your Bible. I'll be reading out of the ESV, and if you do not have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen behind me. But John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, it says this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, And truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me all that I ever did, so that when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. May God bless the reading of this word. You can be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you as always. And as I open the scriptures this morning to um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and as I said earlier, a story that I think really speaks to the heart of our culture and a message that I think in our day we really need to hear. Uh, I just want to remind you that I do this because I love you. I open these words and I give you these points because I think that God can change you, and that God has a word for you in these things, and that oftentimes when we come to the scriptures, what we should be doing is evaluating, is there something here that we need to change in our lives or believe in order to receive all that God has for us? Because God created you. God has a plan for you. God loves you more than anybody else loves you. He knew you before you even existed, and so we come to his precious word this morning to see what he could change about us and what he can do through us. We've been in a series entitled, Send Me, See What God Can Do Through You. And this is the last um, message in this sermon series. We've looked at how God calls us to do things in this world and that God is always calling us to more. And we're beginning this year with the sermon series because we think a lot of people kind of already defined who they are. Um, you've got a past and you think, well, this is the kind of person I am and this is the kind of Christian that I am. And yet, we have a deep conviction here at Wyatt that God is calling you to more this year. And so, the title of this morning is That Jesus Loves Outsiders. I really want you to believe that and to receive that truth this morning. So, turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus loves outsiders. Turn to your other neighbor and says, He really loves outsiders. Jesus loves outsiders. But as we start this morning, I have a question for you. I want you to receive this question this morning. I want you to hear this. Where did you get your idea of what God is like, and how do you know you didn't make it up? Where did you get your conception of who God is and what he's like, and how do you know you didn't make it up? I have a deep conviction personally as I share the gospel with my friends that don't know the Lord who are living their lives very far from the God who loves them, bearing their hurt personally and not aware that there's a God who has a plan for them and can help them and save them. And what I've come to find is that most of the people in my life that I know personally who reject God or want nothing to do with God or church, that they reject him because of something that he really isn't. They don't really know what God is like. They don't know God's heart. They maybe watched some stupid Netflix documentary once, and I think they're an expert on religious matters. They listened to a friend that had issues with God, and, and he got a caricature of God, and so they don't like that version of God that they've heard about. Maybe they interacted with a Christian who was unloving or did not display the loving kindness of Jesus, and because of that bad example, they want nothing to do with God. And yet, I believe very deeply that when we really understand who God is and His deep love for us, it's almost impossible to resist Him. We sang that song. Um, oh, the um, what are the lyrics to the chorus of the, the reckless love? What's the, how's the chorus going that song, Lindsay? Oh, the overwhelming love of God. As in like, it's so deep, it's so big, it pursues you so much that it wears you down. You can run, right? You can keep running. Maybe you're here today, you're in church, but you're still kind of running from God. That he will wear you down with his love. Most people don't know the love that God has. And most people are not aware how God is not about the majority. He's about the marginalized. He's about the outsider, I think so often we have a temptation to portray Christianity as like a club, and you're either in the club or outside of the club, and yet God's heart is for those who are not yet in his church. That we as the church exist for those who are not here yet, that God gets the most glory when we pursue people with his love. And I start there this morning because we're going to dive into this, and we're going to look at this story, but before I, I do that, I need you to understand one simple concept. It's not simple, it's actually pretty deep. Uh, But it's this idea in Christian theology called the Incarnation. Turn to your neighbor and say, the Incarnation. Incarnation. The Incarnation is a doctrine of the church that basically describes kind of who God is. Incarnation meaning to be within. And it's this idea that Jesus walked among us as a normal man, but within him was the full deity of God. And practically, this is important because what it says is that whenever you look at Jesus, you're seeing God. And so when you're looking at who Jesus is and how he interacts with people, we can take from that, that's how God is. And so if I have a conception about what God is like and it differs from Jesus, then I'm wrong and I need to realize that Jesus is different than what I thought. And so as we go through this, you need to realize the incarnation is on full display here because God is revealing in the story of the Samaritan woman who he is and what he is doing. Let's look at our text, John chapter 4. I'm not going to read all the verses because, as you can tell, I already took up half of my sermon time reading it last time. But verses 1 through 11, I'm going to recap it really quick. Thank you for that laugh, Chelsea. I always appreciate Chelsea's laugh. You can hear her on the podcast. I love it. So this one person finds my jokes funny. My wife and Chelsea are always going to laugh. I know that for sure. So, um, but this is what happened. So uh, look at verse 4, okay? It says, And Jesus had to pass through Samaria it emphasizes he had to pass. It didn't say he was glad to go through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria, meaning that Samaria was not a good place. It was not a desirable place, and people that were from the Jewish tradition of which Jesus was from did not like Samaria. And the reason was because the Samaritans were kind of like Jews that were mixed with pagans, that were mixed with other religions. It was a hodgepodge, melting pot, They were seen as unclean, as being a part of a lesser religion. They worshiped various different gods. It was kind of a confusing thing. It wasn't as put together as um, Judaism was. And so they were seen as lesser people. And so they're emphasizing the God of the world is going through Samaria. Why would the God of the world go through Samaria? Samaria is not a place that God would want to be a part of. Why? Because people don't understand God. And that's our world. Why would God be involved with that person or those kind of people? Why would he just want to associate with the powerful and the successful? Why would he care about the marginalized? Why would he care about people whom the world does not respect? And yet he's changing our perception of him in this moment. And so he has to pass through Samaria. And then verse 7, it says, so he's at the well, and it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And so he not only passes through Samaria, but he spends time in Samaria, and he does something that is outrageous. He speaks to a Samaritan woman. And the first thing you need to know this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, is that Jesus engages the outsider. Jesus engages the outsider. The Samaritan woman is the ultimate outsider. If you don't know the context, it might just seem like a normal woman. What's the big deal, John? He's talking to a woman. Why is that scandalous? Well, because it's not 2018. This is 2,000 years ago. This is Jesus in a place called Samaria. It's very different back then. And one of the ways it's different is, first of all, she's a woman. Back in those days, you know this, women were not respected like they are today. Women were seen clearly as inferior to men. Right? A man didn't have much need to talk to a woman because women didn't you know, run the businesses. They didn't influence the culture. A woman couldn't do much for a man, so they didn't even need to address her. And yet Jesus is taking time to speak to a woman. Just that alone is pretty shocking. And what you need to know is Jesus had a lot of women in his ministry and a part of his crew in a day and age when that would have been thought of as unthinkable. And if Jesus was fake and not really God and just trying to make up a religion, it wouldn't really make much sense to get marginalized, ungifted people like the disciples. If you're trying to make up a religion and create something, you'd get the best and the brightest and the most moral and the most pure. You try to make it look good, right? You try to fake it, but not Jesus because he's true. He's going to show that he's legitimate by getting what we call it—wide Oak the jank squad, right? Not the A-team, the jank squad, Okay. The disciples, they're not smart men. They're average men. He's got women in his ministry. And now he's talking to a woman in an unclean place like Samaria. But Jesus engages the outsider. So she's a woman. She's a Samaritan, part of a lesser religion. She's seen as unclean and unrespected. And what's interesting is not only is she seen as an outsider um, by the culture around her, but she sees herself as an outsider. And that's proof in verse 6. It says, she came to the well. It was about the sixth hour. That would have meant it was around noontime. So in, in Jewish time, like the first hour was the first hour of daylight. And so maybe if the sun, you know, came up at 630, um, the sixth hour, one, two, three, four, five, six, 2, 5, 6, would be six hours later, it would be around 1230. And one of the things that Samaria shares with Houston, Texas in 2018 is at 1230, it's what? Really hot, okay? It's really hot. And so she's coming to the well at a hot time because she sees herself as not worthy to come during prime hours. And she also knows that she goes to the well when it's really hot. People won't have to see her or be around her. Not only does the culture see her as an outsider, but she sees herself as an outsider, She's not to be respected, and definitely someone like God would not want anything to do with her. She's a Samaritan woman, after all. And my question to you is, in your life, are there ways in which you see yourself as being a Samaritan woman? Are there ways in which you see yourself as being an outsider from God or from the church? Why do you see yourself this way? A lot of times I talk to newer people to the church. I just feel for them so deeply because, um, and you have to keep in mind, literally everyone that's here, we were all new at one point, right? Everyone at Waduk was once a first-time visitor. Some of us have the benefit of being here since the womb, but most people are not that way, okay? My first time I was in the nursery, right? But most people, that's not the case. Almost everybody sitting around you was the weird, they they felt very awkward first-time visitor, right, walking into the church. And I really feel for you. And if you're new this morning, like, and you feel weird, I just want to say, it's okay. We know it's weird for you, right? We just want you to know, like, you're loved, you're welcomed. We're we're truly glad that you're here. We're not just saying that. We're really, really glad that you're here. And we hope that being a part of our body, even just in this one Sunday, that you know that God loves you and that through us, you feel loved and welcomed and that there's a place for you at his table, that we want you here. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you know nothing about God, religion, or the church, We're so glad that you're here this morning. But a lot of times we see ourselves as outsiders. Maybe you think you're insignificant. You think that you're not very gifted or impressive of a person. Maybe you're older and you feel like the best years of your life have passed you. And you think in your 70s and 80s there's there's not really much left that God wants for you to do. Maybe you're young and lost and you don't know what direction you're going in life. Maybe you just feel like you're a pretty messed up sinner and you just don't really align morally with the church in a lot of different ways. You love God, but, you know, you just have a lot of struggles. In many different ways, we see ourselves as outsiders, and yet the shocking truth is that, yeah, maybe all of us are outsiders, but here's the good news. Jesus wants, loves, and engages the outsider. Jesus loves you, and Jesus wants you. The Samaritan woman was the most overlooked person in her day. You can make a logical case that maybe, with the exception of a slave, a Samaritan woman was the most overlooked, disrespected person. And that's exactly why Jesus goes to her. God is telling you that today, even if you don't know much about the church, even if you're new to Jesus, you, just don't, like you don't know enough, you're not holy enough, Jesus is telling you it's a new day, that you're welcomed, that you're loved, that he has a plan for you. And that if you will walk through him, no matter what you've done, he will do something through your life. One of the big parts of our vision for 2018, and we're going to talk about this so much that you're going to get sick of it, but that's, that's the goal because then you finally know what we're talking about, right? This, for us as a church, one of our vision pieces is this is the year of the outsider. And we say that because here at White Oak, I've got some news for you. Um, if you're a part of White Oak, you know this, and if you're new to White Oak, you're going to figure this out. Um, White Oak is an amazing church. I know I'm the pastor, so maybe I don't get credit for saying that, but this is an amazing church. If you're around this group of people for a long enough time, you're going to grow in your walk with God. And if you're around this church for a long enough time, and if you get in communities and a community group, you will make lifelong friends I've had probably, like no joke, probably three or four people just in the last month come up to me and say, brand new to the church, I feel so loved, I feel so welcomed, I feel so encouraged, I feel like people want me here, I feel like I'm welcomed, I feel like there's a place for me at this table, and that's our whole mission for this year is to let the outsiders feel welcomed. But this is important because, because Waduk is a very community and family-oriented church, there's a temptation to get comfortable. And I think at times, if I'm honest, we have gotten too comfortable as a church. There are times in which I think if we're honest, we have so many friends here, that when was the last time you showed up to church saying, I can't wait to meet somebody new? No, it's usually, I can't wait to see all my friends, right? All my friends, as they say, right? Friends, F-R-A-N-Z, right? That's how you say it, friends. That's like the the cool way you say it. I can't wait to see my friends. Can't wait to see the people that I serve with in my community group. Like, when was the last time? I'm like, I can't wait to meet someone new today. Because we have so much community here that maybe we have the temptation to overlook the outsider. I think one of the ways that we can do what Jesus is doing here as he walks through Samaria, he doesn't just walk through Samaria, he makes time to be in Samaria, he makes time to be present. He sees somebody, he's got the time to engage. You're busy, I'm busy, but you're not more busy than Jesus, okay? Unless you're saving the world, okay? You're not more busy than Jesus, right? I know your job's important, my job's important, my family's important, your family's important, but come on, we're not saving the world, right? But Jesus engages the outsider. And I think one of the ways that we do this is that we make sure that we always leave an open seat near us in our relational capacity. See, so many of us were so booked relationally that if God brought somebody new into your life, a new person that you could help along in their faith journey or help along because they need some help, you're too booked. And I get that because I'm the kind of person, I live in the same place where I grew up, and so I've got like, I literally have like elementary school friends I'm still kind of friends with, okay? And middle school friends, right? Go Clifton Cougars, right? And Waltrip friends, go Waltrip Rams, right? And I went to school in, in Houston. I went to HBU, so I got HBU friends, right? And then I got like post college friends, and now I'm in my 20s friends, and I got church friends, right? And I got neighborhood friends, right? And I got um, work friends, and I've got all these, you know, thing, pe- people, right? And maybe you're like me and you've got all those people, right? Maybe some you like, oh, I don't have enough friends. Well, you're going to get more friends, right? This sermon's going to apply to you, right? But if you're like me, you probably have maybe too many friends. And here's, this might be kind of controversial, right? But I'm just going to say it. Um, like, it's okay to let go of friends if that season is past. Like, Jesus kind of lets his disciples just wander off, lets them go do something, right? In that moment, I think for us, it's okay because we're so connected nowadays. We keep up with, like, every friend on Facebook. We've got, like, literally, like, 1,800 Facebook friends, right? And we're, like, very close to all of them somehow, and we get invited to all of their stuff. That sometimes we're not really engaging with the woman of Samaria because we have too many friends, and you were friends 10 years ago. But, like, here's the thing. If you've had the same friends for the last 10 years, that might not be a good thing, Right? OK? It can be a good thing, but it might be kind of sad. I'm just going to leave that right there, right? <laughs> People are like, "Oh, I've had the same friends for 10 years." I'm like, "Ooh, you know,, okay, good for you, you know?" But seriously, think about it. We have to have space in our lives for the new work that God is going to do. It's like when people set New Year's resolutions, right? They would say, this is what I'm going to do this year, not this is what I'm not going to do so that I can do the things I'm supposed to do this year. Jesus engages the outsider. Jesus engages the unlikely. Let's go back to verse 16. This is where it gets even better, even more amazing. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, "I have no husband." And Jesus said to her, "You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not you have is not your husband. What you have said is true." And the woman said to him, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I love this because one of the ways that Jesus is revealing who he is to her is." by telling her things about that he knows about her that there's no way he would know. And so the same way that prophets and I guess special people would know have special insight Jesus is displaying that here. And yet it's interesting because he knows that this woman has had five husbands, okay? And like even by today's standards and living in Hollywood, we would see that as maybe someone that doesn't have some of their stuff together, right? You had five husbands, okay? Even in our like completely non-judgmental culture, we like that's immoral, right? Okay, like if you have five husbands, like that—that's a lot of husbands, right? And it's interesting because Jesus sees all this about her, but he's not repulsed by her. Does he rebuke her? Does he just call her out? Does he just say you're a horrible person? Does he do that? No, that's not what Jesus does. Because Jesus, number two, is not afraid of your baggage. He's not afraid of it. It's not a reason why he cannot use you. And think about this, if Jesus knows this about the woman, he probably knows everything about the woman. If he knows she's had five husbands, he probably knows every time she's ever failed, every sin, everything she's ever done wrong, and yet Jesus, the Holy One of God, does not flee from her. This is amazing. The holiness of God, the fullness of God is in the presence of a woman who has some moral issues, And his first response is not to condemn her, not to say she's a horrible person, but to love her and embrace her because he knows he's going to change her. In our world today, so often people think that God would want nothing to do with me until I clean my life up. It's not true. Jesus is not afraid of your baggage. He loves the outsider. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God is not repulsed by you. He's not repulsed by you. He hates your sin but does not hate you. He loves you. He created you because he wants you to exist and he wants to have a relationship with you. He knows all you've ever done, all you ever will do, and he's not going anywhere. The world is full of people who will leave us, disregard us if we don't measure up, but not God. God is not like that. God is showing us that here. I was talking to someone um, about a week ago and they they had worked at this one place for a very long time and after all their years of service and dedication, the job just kind of let them go because they made one mistake. And in that moment when they were telling me this, I just couldn't help but think, man, I just wish everyone was a lot more like Jesus. This world is so cutthroat. It's so dog-eat-dog. It's so what have you done for me lately? We look to our places like our jobs for satisfaction. We look to certain friends for satisfaction. And then we go through seasons where they let us down. We go through a struggle and they're not there for us. And it's in that moment that we come back to Jesus because God's always there for you. I don't know if you feel like no one's there for you in your time of need, but but God is. God loves you. God cares. God cares. God will not leave you because of your baggage. That's why one of our um, images for this year or the parts of our vision is it's the year of your next step. Because what we believe is that God does not look at you and define you by what you have done, but that God is always looking and seeing your future. And so my question to you is that when you look at people, do you see their past and who they are, or do you see their godly potential? When you're in a struggling marriage, is it because you're looking at your spouse as who they've been and what they've done, and you just see them based upon all their mistakes and failings? Or do you see the husband or the wife that they will one day be when God takes a hold of their life in a powerful way? So often it's tough to raise our kids because we just see who they are and who they've been and not who they're going to be. We lose hope. We lose encouragement, right, because we just see a person that maybe doesn't measure up, right, but do we see godly potential in people because God sees that potential in us, this is the year of your next step. And so Jesus looks at this woman, and no matter who she's been, he knows who she's going to be. He's not afraid of your baggage because he's going to change you, he's going to do a good work in your life. So we don't have to walk around feeling uneasy all the time as to if we're good enough because God made you good enough on the cross when he died for you. I've made it very publicly known that I hate flying, I really hate flying. And people are like, well, why do you hate flying and airplanes and stuff? Is it because, you know, you're like a hundred million thousand, you know, miles above in the air and there's something below you? And I'm like, yeah, that's one of the 50 reasons I hate flying, right? But there's a lot of reasons I hate flying, okay? Um, number one, I'm a chicken, and so I don't like being that high up in the air, right? Especially without a parachute. Even with a parachute, I'd still be terrified, right? <laughs> um, but I, I just I hate flying, Right. I hate flying because, like, you know, you get in the airport and there's limited food options and everything's so expensive because it got you trapped. You know, I hate, I hate flying for that reason. Someone knows over here what I'm talking about, right? Um, this section doesn't fly, obviously, but this section fills me. So, um, and, like, also, like, it's funny, like, anyth- anywhere else you go or anything else you go to, getting somewhere early means getting there 20 minutes early, right? Not flying, right? Flying, like, you get there 10 hours early and, like, you're somehow still on edge. You're going to miss your flight, you know? It's like you can never be early enough, right? And then you get in there and it's like, you know, you're like, you're going through like the security check and you're just looking around for terrorists and you're kind of on edge, you know, and you're, you're judging everybody, be honest, you're just judging everybody and they're judging you, you know, and you're like taking off your shoes and you're putting them in the bucket, you know, you're putting the bucket on a thing that goes like this and Like the the security label, like she's like wanding you, you know, she got the wand over you. You got your hands up. You're barefoot in a public place. It's just really, really weird, right? And everyone's uneasy, and and no one's disrespectful. I talk about doggy dog. The the airport is doggy dog. Okay, and so, but then uh, what happens eventually is because I'm the kind of person where uh, one of the things that I um, I like doing is I don't like checking my bag. Um, I like taking a carry-on bag, and so, um, but the problem with the carry-on bag is it can only be a certain size, and it can only be a certain weight, and so one of the things that you do right, is it's got to be like only this long and only this heavy, right? and you, go to the, you take your bag, and you, you go up to the place, and you're always afraid um, that it's not going to be the right size, and so you're kind of on edge all the time, and you get up there, and there's a receptacle that you put your bag in, and you bring your bag out, right? And maybe it's too heavy or maybe it's too big and you can't check it, but the whole time I'm uneasy that I won't fit the standard that it has. And I say that because for many of us, we live our entire lives kind of uneasy that we don't measure up. We live our whole lives uneasy or afraid that maybe for some reason we're not living up to some standard that God has for us. But in the gospel, Jesus makes us forgiven of all that we've ever done. If you feel unworthy or ungifted or lost or insignificant, then you need to be reminded of the gospel. Jesus didn't die so you could just keep reminding him that you don't measure up. None of us measure up to him. But he's forgiven us on the cross. And so Jesus is not afraid of your baggage. But then for my last point, let's go back to the text. Verse 28. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Go down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. He stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And the last point is this this morning, that Jesus' followers are disruptors. And what I mean by that is that whenever God does a work in our lives, it is now our responsibility to take what he's done in our lives and to begin to share that with the people around us. The Samaritan woman realizes that she's a part of God's plan. She realizes that this man is the Christ. And the second that she realizes that this man is the Christ, and he loves her in light of her sin and in light of her brokenness, the first thing she does, doesn't ask, right? She just goes and tells her story to everybody that she knows. She doesn't wait. She doesn't stall. She doesn't go to seminary. She doesn't become a pastor. She doesn't wait until she's perfectly holy. She doesn't pray about what God wants her to do. She just goes and tells her story to her friends because she loves Jesus And she knows that if she loves Jesus, that they will too love Jesus if they know who he truly and really is. I think in the world today, as Christians, maybe in a sense sometimes we're a little bit too kind of nice. I know it sounds weird to say that, right? But what I mean by that is is this. Like we kind of let everyone else around us control the narrative and talk about stuff, and we're just kind of silent about things that really matter, meaning things about God, right? Right? It's like we hear a lot of news about Donald Trump, and I get it. Some of y'all like him, some of y'all hate him, right? But we hear so much about politics, right? We hear so much about sports, and I love sports, right? But we hear so much about those kinds of things. We hear so much about social media. We hear so much about the news of the day. And yet what really matters in life is where people are at with the Lord, And I think we're called to be disruptors because if you're gonna make a difference for Christ in this world, like no one's gonna ask you, oh, what must I do to be saved? Right? They're not gonna come up to you and ask you that question. Most likely, if we as Christians don't bring up the spiritual conversations, nobody will bring up the spiritual conversations. Too often we're too nice. Sometimes we just need to bring up the conversation. Hey, what do you think about God? You don't have to like try and like push people or force them to believe in Jesus. Just ask them, man, where are you at with the Lord? Have you ever been to church? Hey, come to my church right? Because most people live their lives very kind of disconnected from the Lord, and they come and they're like, this is amazing. God is amazing. He's loving. He's forgiving. He's, he has so much grace and mercy over my life. I never knew this. No one ever told me this. I had someone tell me the other day, they're like, man, I never knew that a church really, like, you could be friends with people in your church, right? They were shocked by that. To them, religion and church was always like, you go and you kind of observe the service, and you kind of go home, right? They're like, I never knew you could be, like, really close and connected to the people that you go to church with. And sometimes we have to engage the conversation, right? And I get what it's like. It's kind of hard bringing up God in everyday conversation, right? It's like going to, like, a Guns N' Roses concert and, like, you're trying to go talk to everybody about, like, the new tech additions to, like, the world, right? They're like, man, I don't care about that. I just want to hear, like, welcome to the jungle, man, right? You're like, man, Android or iPhone, they're like, sweet child of mine guitar solo, right? Which is my favorite guitar solo, by the way, right? You're like, they're like, What? You're like, you know, so, so, so what do you think about, um, I don't know, uh, Jeff Bezos, right? Is Amazon ruining the world or are they good for the world, right? That's what everybody asks. And they're like, yeah, I don't care. I'm just here to have a rock concert, right? And that's kind of what it feels like, isn't it? But we're called to be disruptors. I mean, people disrupt our lives all the time with things that really aren't important to us, right? And we have something that truly is important. So, really quick, just to make this practical, I've come up with something right before we close called Disruption for Dummies. Okay, it should be on the screen. Right? Disruption for Dummies, right? Three things you got to do really quick. Number one, initiate. And so, what this means is just like the woman at the well, she has an encounter with Jesus. What does she do? She goes and just tells people. She didn't ask them if they wanted to hear it. She said, Hey, I got a story for you. I have to tell you all that this man has done for me. You initiate the conversation. Number two, inform. You inform people. I say this because you share your story. And for many people, you clear up their misconceptions about God, right? A lot of people think that church is boring. They think that church is a place, like I said, where you don't really have friends. They think it's a place that won't help you and serve you. They think it's kind of a cold, shut-off place. And it's like, man, I don't know what your experiences were in the past, but here's how amazing God really is. And here's how amazing his body is. And the third thing is this, invite. I think we have to be serious about truly inviting people. We don't force anybody, but we want people to know, hey, this is for you as well. I think so often, if maybe we're honest, we kind of think that maybe we're better candidates for grace than other people. And it's like, we've all got that one friend and like, they're never gonna to come to the Lord, right? We all got that one friend and like, it's like, yeah, they're never gonna to come to the Lord for whatever reason, right? We think that, but you came to the Lord. You believed. We had issues and we trusted in the Lord. And so we believe that God can do that work in other people as well. And so we are disruptors. But as we draw to a close, i want to leave you with one final point. And I really want this to be the way that we close this series uh, today. I think so often we, we want to do something for God, and we're always kind of waiting for that right time, for that right moment. We're waiting for that opportunity to um, have what, whatever we think we need to do what God wants us to do. And yet what I love about this story today is that this woman did not have much But what she did actually have, she used for the Lord. So I want to leave you with this thought this morning. You do not lack what you need to do what God wants you to do. You do not lack what you need to do what God wants you to do. I believe that God has already equipped you with whatever steps you need to take to grow in your walk with him, The Samaritan woman only had one story, a slight experience with the Lord, but she used it to the fullest extent. I don't know your story this morning, and I don't know where you're at, but I know for a fact that there's a step that you need to take to come closer to God and closer to your purpose. Maybe for some of you, you need to get baptized. You've never taken that step publicly. Maybe for some of you, um, you need to join the church You need to draw close this year. You need to find your family. Maybe for some of you, you need to join a community group, kind of come out of anonymity and hiding and get into a community group and share your story with people, to have them love on you and to have you love them, to open up your marriage struggles and your personal struggles to someone else, to quit walking alone. Maybe that's your next step. God has equipped you today with the ability to do that. Maybe this year it's your time to step out and lead, to lead a community group, to lead a ministry. Maybe this is your time to share the gospel with your family or coworkers, or invite that person to church who is far from God. Whatever you do, do something, right? We're going to push you this year. If you're here, we're going to push you because God has more for you. This is not comfortable Baptist church, people, okay? This is White Oak. And we're going to push you to do something because we believe that God has more for you the most famous slogan of the 90s, and I promise you remember it, was the Nike slogan, Just Do It. Because what they determined was that most people had what they needed to make a difference. They just needed someone to tell them to just do it. And that's my word to you this morning. And know that whatever step you take, the God will be with you. You do not lack what you need to do what God wants you to do. And as a church this year, let's all take those steps forward because God knows how we're an outsider, but he's still calling us forward. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this opportunity to um, be here with your people and to be just reminded of your deep love for us, your deep compassion for us. Father, I pray that we would no longer allow our past to define who we've been. Lord, we believe that you're calling us to a new day, personally. And I trust, Lord, that you will be with us as we take these steps. God, all of us have a reason why we don't measure up, why we don't add up. And yet, just like the Samaritan woman, you're not afraid of our baggage. You're not afraid of who we've been or what we've done. You're just calling us forward. I pray by the power of your spirit that we would walk in that today. That this would be the year of all of our next steps. an entire church moving forward together in love and grace and in peace. And I pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.